Thank you, brother. Thank you very much. That was precious. All right, great. Hey, listen, um, this morning, what we're going to try to do is when we speak on something on Sunday morning, we're going to try to tag in with that to reinforce. In fact, we may, um, at least until, I realize the, the 21st we have business meeting, so this Wednesday night we'll probably tag in with prayer again, uh, and then we'll start First John after business meeting. But I, wanna, I really want to reinforce the thought and the idea of prayer and what we talked about. And tonight was extremely easy uh, because, you know, I, heard, I hope you heard me mention this morning that we always call uh, Luke chapter 11, the Lord's Prayer. Um, I've got a piece of paper somewhere, all beautiful calligraphy, and it says the Lord's Prayer at the top. And I, I made a comment this morning that was more than just a passing piece of information because really that is not the Lord's Prayer because, again, Jesus never prayed that prayer because Jesus never had to ask for forgiveness. And clearly it says there, forgive our sins and, so, and, and forgive others. So, so we know that's not the Lord's Prayer, but it really is the model prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. It would be a much, much better prayer. But, but Jesus did pray a very, very powerful prayer. And that's what we want to look at tonight in John chapter 17. And here, as I studied for tonight, as I studied, I realized just how much he models the model prayer in his prayer. Now, this, in John chapter 17, the Lord's, this beautiful, uh, it's been called Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's been called many things, uh, wonderful things. And in that prayer, again, as he models uh, the Lord's prayer, as he models the, the model prayer out for us, we can see how passionate he was about prayer and how passionate, therefore, we should be about prayer. Now, we won't be able to do the whole thing. In fact, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and whack out, not because of time, but, but John 1 through 17, 1 through 5, and then we'll do 15 through 19, and then 21 through 23. Those are the three sections we're going to look at. And then, like I say, we'll follow up something on Wednesday night with prayer, and then we'll move on to 1 John in just a while. Now, look with me, please, at verse number 1, all right? And this is, if you have a Bible that has the words of Jesus in red, you'll notice almost all of this, besides the food transitional statements, are all in it because this is the heart. This is the passion of Jesus Christ. And he models out this prayer, and this is how we all pray. Imagine, let me ask you a question. How different would the church be if we truly prayed as God and his word taught us to pray? Think about that. How different would our church be if we truly prayed out, lived out, prayed with passion, just the way Jesus taught us in Luke chapter 11? I think it would be radical. I think it really would. You know, prayer is the key. Come on. Prayer is the key. It is. But biblical prayer is the key. And I really believe in this modern society, we've kind of gotten away from praying as God or as Jesus taught, and God and Jesus taught us to pray. So how different would it be? Well, let's look at our Savior and see how he prays. Now, in John 17, it says this. Uh, probably, what, 20 hours from the cross, somewhere in there? Jesus spoke these words, and he lifted his eyes where? To heaven. Our Father... Who art in heaven. So notice he lifts his eyes. Um, yeah, I, you know, by the way, understand that physical posture is, is, is not important. It's what you're comfortable in doing. I don't mind sharing with you. Uh, for the longest time, I got on my knees to pray. And then for probably a couple years, I got on my face to pray. And now, I'm going to be very... Let me show you how I pray now. And it's not because I'm older. But I have a recliner in my room. And I kick back all the way. I leave my eyes open. I stare at the ceiling, and right there's my chandelier in my room, my, my fan, and I look at that chandelier because it symbolizes the light of God. 
And so that's how I pray now. You say, Dwayne, you ought not pray reclining in a recliner. Why not? Why not? It's exactly how I feel comfortable praying. So posture is not important as much as our heart is important. So he lifts his eyes to heaven, and what does he say? Father. Dearest Father. Dearest Father. Just beautiful. And, and you know, this is so important because this signal, and I really didn't bring this out clearly this morning. You know, I did, I talked about the fact that, that you, you know, this is a prayer for a believer. The Lord's, the model prayers, they all call it Lord's Prayer The model prayer was a prayer for believers. And in order for you to say, Father, you've got to have a relationship. You've got to have a relationship. And, and here we see in that intimacy, we see the relationship between Holy Son and Holy Father. And it's a beautiful, intimate relationship. It's a beautiful, intimate moment as he cries out and says, Dearest Father. And here he says it. The hour has come. The hour has come. He's hours, Jim, he's hours away from the cross. And the whole purpose of his coming, the whole purpose of his living, the whole purpose of why he came to this earth is finally coming to a conclusion and it involves a Roman cross. It involves a Roman cross. And he says, the time has come. And then glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. Now, that is just so significant to me because we see the Son wanting to glorify the Father. He says, Father, I want you to glorify me, not for me, though, but I want you to glorify me so I can glorify you. Oh, listen, we as believers in Jesus Christ need to be mirrors. And we need to reflect the glory of God to the world around us, but we also need to reflect the glory of God back to God. None of the glory should stick to us. None of the glory should stick to us. And I'm telling you, it is dangerous. When you happen to be one of the most exciting churches in southern Illinois, at least in Saline County, when you happen to be one of the largest, if not the largest church in, in Harrisburg, when, when week after week after week we walk away going, the worship was good, the word was preached, we had a great crowd. It is very important we keep our eyes where they belong, and that's on God, because all the glory goes to Him and not to us. When glory starts sticking to us, we are in deep weeds. So Jesus says, glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As, as, you, have, as you have given Him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. As many as you, Father, have called to him, he has given eternal life. And then Jesus, in like one of these moments of, of, of just beautiful clarity, says this, and this is eternal life. This is eternal life. Have you ever thought about that? What is eternal life? What is eternal life? Look what it says. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is eternal life. The eternal life starts the moment we trust Jesus. We are, we are, listen, listen, we are all eternal creatures. The lost man's an eternal creature. And the saved man is an eternal creature. We are born with eternal spirits. The question is, where will that eternal spirit spend eternity? Will it spend an eternity damned in hell? There's your fire and brimstone, Judy. And she said, we need some fire and brimstone tonight because we came out in the rain. Well, there you go. Are we going to spend eternity damned to hell? Are we going to spend eternity in relationship and worshiping the one true God? That's the only difference. 
And true life, listen, eternal life becomes, starts when we know Jesus and we know God as Father. Life truly begins then. There's a song that says, I just started living. I've got a brand new life. And I am telling you, when today you met Jesus Christ, whether you look back and recognize it now or you do not or you do, I'm telling you, you truly started living today you met Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I was studying the commentary. And that word no is a very special word. It's a very special word. I, I was debating whether to say what the commentary said or not. Because I'm afraid, well, I will say it because it really enforces it, it, the, the word in the Greek is used in Scripture and other places to signify the union of a man and woman in marriage. That's that word, know. That's how intimate it is. That they may know God, not as a distant, somewhere, somewhere out there God, not as a God somewhere that we can approach, but a God that we call dearest Father. A God that we are in intimate love with. That is eternal life. And let me tell you something. We need to recognize that. We need to recognize that. That the relationship we have with God through his son, Jesus Christ, is a wonderfully intimate life that began the day we trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now listen, I have glorified you on the earth, Jesus speaking to the Father. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Already Jesus is looking forward and saying, Father, I'm telling you, the hour is drawing near and I have finished the work. He was looking forward when he would cry out and say, it is finished. And it was as good as done because nothing, nothing was going to come between that and him fulfilling his mission. I have finished the work you call me to do. Now, can I ask you a question? What about you? What about you? We're watching a series, a new series by Andy Stanley in our Sunday school class. And it's on New Year's resolutions. And um, Andy asked the question, the, the key question, the key thought is, you know, what breaks your heart? He's talking about Nehemiah. How Nehemiah wept and sobbed over the fact that Jerusalem was in ruins, the wall was in ruins. And, and he asked, you know, Nehemiah's heart was broken. So he asked the question, what breaks your heart? And that's a really good question. If tonight we were to pause and say, let's lay this aside and let's just talk, Kathy. What breaks our heart? Because if we don't have anything that breaks our heart, something's wrong. And I'm going to be very honest, you know, I had to really, and I'm not sure I can give you a definite, I'm not sure I can give you a focused answer. I, I know the lostness of people. I, I know the pain of mankind. When I think, I think of Tina Brown, I think about, I can't get my mind off these widow ladies. Four women in our church lost their husbands. And I, of course, we have lots more, but just in the span of, of what, three weeks? Four widows in our church. And I grieve over their hurt and their pain. But what breaks your heart? But I only say that to say this. What purpose does God have for you? Why are you here? And more importantly, look now, look at me. When you get to the end, will you be able to say to the Father, I have finished the work that you gave me to do? 
Or we'll, 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 again, will we find ourselves trying to explain to God why we spent so many of our precious years doing this or doing that, but not doing what he's called us to do? I would pray to God that we as a people of God would be able to say, Father, we have finished what you have called us to do. And I would suggest this, that, that if you are not certain what God has called you to do, and I'm not talking broad terms. I believe God has a calling for us to be missionaries, yes, to share Christ, yes, to minister to others, yes, to show mercy, yes. But God has a purpose for us. He, he's gifted us. He's given us resources. He's given us time. He's given us abilities for a purpose. And we need to discover what that purpose is and be able to come to the end of the journey and say, God, I have finished the work you have given me to do. Can I ask you a question? Has that ever crossed your mind before? Did you think that God only had work for preachers that get paid a salary? Do you understand that as a child of God, you've got a purpose? And the, and the most fulfilling thing in life is to know you finished the work that God gave you on this earth. And Kathy, it may be, of course you're retired now, but it may be teaching. It may be, it may be impacting kids. That's my purpose. Yeah, I, I don't know. But I know so when I read that, I said, Father, let us as a people come together at the end of our lives and say, God, I finished the work. You, know, you think about John Piper's story, Dave, about the couple who who was, they were talking about how the couple had retired and they had moved to Florida and they had their, their RV and they were so proud of their seashell collection. And John Piper was saying, how crazy is it to come to the end of life and have a seashell collection? God help us. That'd be something greater than bigger than that. So he says, I have finished the work that you give me to do. And, and now, and now, oh Father, glorify I think that means, to some degree, it means, Father, sustain me. I don't think, I do not believe we fully grasp the two aspects of the crucifixion. And I'm not so sure the second's not greater than the first. I'm not sure we can fully grasp the physical suffering that Jesus was called upon to do. I mean, we've read, you've heard graphic sermons, you've seen the pictures, you saw one last Sunday night of the crucifixion and how his body was abused. That was not a gross um, of overstatement. If anything, it's an understatement of what it was like, a Roman crucifixion. But God sustained me through that. May I suffer well. But God, Father, dearest Father, as I am called upon to become sin and to endure your wrath, Sustain me. And I will tell you this. I don't know what your purpose is. But I do believe this. That as Jesus cried out and said, glorify me, sustain me. The same God that sustained him will sustain you. That's a good place for an amen. The same God who sustained his son through his purpose and his calling in his life will sustain you also. So he says, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which, I love this. I, I put, you know, I have some really deep theological notes. I wrote down, wow, with an exclamation point. With the glory which I had with you before the world was. Isn't that a beautiful scripture on the deity of Jesus Christ? That before I was a little baby, that I was in heaven with the Father and glorifying and receiving all the glory of the universe. 
And, and, and Jesus says, glorify me with what I had before I was there, while I was there, and bring it back again. Do it again, God. And you know what? He's gonna. He's gonna. When, when God gives us a purpose, God will sustain us, and God will equip us for the task at hand. Isn't that good? Isn't that awesome? Let me read it one more time. I mean, I put wild by it. Verse 5. And now, O Father, Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Wow. Verse 15. Buried in this high priestly prayer is the redemptive mission, missional plan of God. Now look what he says. I do not pray... I do not pray, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. You see it? Jesus didn't say, now, Father, take, and by the way, yes, he's speaking to the 12, the 11 at this point, okay? But understand, just like the Great Commission spoken to a certain group of people was for the church, so this part of the prayer is spoken to it for a specific group of people, but for the people of God, for the believers. And Jesus says, I don't want you to take them out of the world. You know why? The world's the mission field. Let me tell you something. This is not Fort Dorisville. That is not Fort First Baptist Church. God did not call us to get behind our holy walls and have our holy worship service and go home and hoard up in our houses. He has called us to be salt and light in this world. He has called us for a purpose of making a difference in this world. And we can't do it when we hoard ourselves away from this world. The world's messy. The world's sinful. The world's dirty. But the world is where ministry is. And it involves risk. It involves risk. So I don't pray that you'll take them out of the world, but keep them, protect them from the evil one. You know, we got some people we love dearly in very difficult situations around this world. Some you know and some you don't know. But they are there, not, not home safe, in quotes. They're there on the field. Can I ask you another question? Been out in the world lately? Been out in the world lately? Donnie, you disturbed my spirit with that silly devotional you gave tonight in Dickens meeting. My wife keeps saying we all have people over at our house. And I keep saying, don't want to have people in my house. I want my house for me. I pray for Brad, but I've never invited Brad to my house. Well, I didn't invite him to sit down in my yard. I pray for, for Ken and Debbie. I pray for, for Alex and Gary. And yes, they're a couple. But I haven't had them in my house. It's so risky. What if word got out that I had a homosexual couple in my house? What would y'all think? The world involves risk. Amen. Look at verse 16. They are not of the world. Now watch. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Isn't that powerful? <laughs> Did you get that? I mean, it's one of those ones I, read, I almost went wild again. You, you want to know how, 
how sanctified you should be in this world. Now, again, don't you dare separate yourself from Fort Dorisville. Don't you dare hoard yourself up in your house. That is not what he's saying. But just like he was in the world but not of the world, just like Jesus was, so are we to be in this world but not of the world. You see, it's possible to be in the world but not compromise. Did, com did Jesus compromise? Well, wait, he was hanging around a prostitute. He was with tax collectors. He was at parties. But he didn't compromise, did he? See, we have got to get our hands, if you will, again in quotes, we've got to get our hands dirty in ministry if we're going to reach this world. But we are to be so such in a way that they are to be that we are to be not in the world, just like Jesus is not of the world. We're not to be of the world, just like Jesus is not of the world. Sanctify them. Sanctify them, sanctify them by your truth and your word. Is true. Said it a lot here recently, but I'll say it one more time. This has got to get in us. It is not enough, and of course I would never do it, but it's not enough to tear the pages out and glue them on our chest and on our abdominal area and our legs. The word, if it remains exterior, will never impact the interior. The word, if it remains exterior, will never impact the interior. You know, we have, you know, when Jesus talked about in John chapter 6, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I'm not sure all he meant, but he's saying, I've got to get in you. And this word has got to get in us. Change us. Change us. Not so we can cite the rules. But so our lives will be impacted, and as our lives are impacted, it will impact the world. And that's what this thing's all about. That's what it's all about. That's what the gospel's about. That's what grace is about. That's what the church is about. Sanctify. Set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. As Listen, this is so good. As you sent me into the world. Now, now again... He was born of a baby. His sole purpose was what? To become Emmanuel, God in the flesh. So as you sent me in the world for the sole purpose of being and doing what you want me to be and do, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So in other words, the same commission that God gave Christ, Christ has given us. Isn't that powerful? Have you seen that before? How powerful is that? The same Commission the same forcefulness as Jesus was commissioned, we are commissioned. Just the same way you sent me in the world, I've sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. Most likely speaking about his sacrifice there, his death. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Now, I, I have sanctified them by my death so they may be sanctified themselves with their salvation. Set apart for God. And then finally, verse number 20. This is the part we know. It's just an incredible thought that's so true. In verse 20, Jesus shifts gears and specifically prays for us. You know, technically the group he was speaking to were his disciples. But now he speaks in the future. So that part applies, but now he narrows it down specifically to us. I do not pray for these alone, the ones who walked with him. 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Us. As we say in Southern Illinois, us and these. He prayed for us. Life is okay. Hours before the cross, <laughs> you were on his mind. Good place for an amen. Don't, don't, make, don't make yourself a rock star. God so loved the world. The world. I don't pray for these alone, but for those who will believe in me, do their work, that they may, oh, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Wow. Isn't that crazy? I used to do the other ones this morning, John chapter 13. The world will know we are Christians by our love. And here's Jesus hours before the cross, and he says, Okay, God, Father, here's the deal. That they all may be one as you, Father, you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. The compelling evidence of the reality of Jesus Christ is our love for one another. Not our ability to keep rules. Some of us are good at that and some of us are not. But the compelling evidence is our love one for another. I have another, aren't I full of questions tonight? My question now is this. Could this be the problem? Now you know and I know that most churches are not known for their unity. Most churches are known for their diversity, their disunity. Am I right? Does not the world look at the church and go, you want me to get saved and y'all can't even get along? Could it be the problem that the world remains unevangelized to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Could the problem be that we are not being one as Christ and the Father are one? Could it be that's the problem? Because I'm telling you, when you start loving one another, all of a sudden Lottie's just not a big deal. Annie's not a big deal. World hunger is not a big deal. Budgets are not a big deal. And I'm telling you, that's it. By the way, I'll just give you, a, you probably need a reprieve right now. <laughs> somebody, somebody that was going, why couldn't have had freezing rain tonight? <laughs> Let me give you something. Once again, I do not know what the board said this morning. But when, when 375 to 400 people consistently find their way to 1300 South Diesel Street in a neighborhood off the main drag with no signage, Something's right. Now, don't get the big head. I'm just telling you, God's doing some incredible things in this church. And it's an incredible God is doing them, but it's pretty stinking awesome. But I also know this. We have a hard time loving one another. Sometimes I hear face to face. Sometimes I hear rumors. But I hear, and it's not tongues for love. God wants us to be one, guys. That don't mean we're going to agree on everything. We're not robots. I will agree with whatever the person, the other person says. It doesn't mean you, you instantly grant trust where trust has been broken. But it does mean as Christ forgave you, you forgive the other person. You become grace extenders, givers. That was pretty good this morning. Grace experiencers become grace extenders. 
And you can only be one with each other if you extend grace. I mean, come on. Haven't you done some really rotten things toward God? Come on, be honest. Haven't you done some things that, that would make some people blush? But you would be the first to stand up and say, I just want to give praise to God for his amazing grace because he forgave me. Then forgive your brother. The same grace. If you experience grace, you extend grace. Verse 22. And the glory and, and the plan of redemption which you gave me as he fleshed it out, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Yep. I and them and you and me that they may be made perfect in one. Again, he says it again, that the world may know that you sent me. See, the reason that's so powerful is because it's so extra earthly. People by nature don't get along. And so it's so godly when people who have nothing in common get along. The world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you love me. So the two like wows is one, that the world may know that you sent me because of their love, and the world will also know how much you love people. It's really true. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Isn't that cool? And by the way, that's important why you let people know God loves you. You've got to make sure they understand that as a child of God, God's not walking on a baseball bat waiting for the opportunity to smack you inside the head. That he is dear father. And yes, he disciplines his kids. I'm not denying the, the biblical content of that. But he's a loving father. Any discipline he gives, it's out of pure love. Come on, amen? Powerful. And this I thought of the song, David. You sang tonight, not the end song, but one of the middle ones. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am. That they may see or behold my glory, which you gave to me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Hey, Father, I'm asking you. I want them with me. I, I, I want them with me in, in a place called heaven. Heaven wouldn't be complete for a savior if the ones he saved weren't there. Heaven is a place where the re <laughs> Heaven will be a place of the redeemed because the redeemer is there. Heaven's going to be heaven because Jesus is there. So as you think about this, and by the way, I encourage you maybe sometime this week to sit down and read all of John chapter 17. But as you see what we covered tonight, you see how Jesus practiced out in prayer what he taught. He prayed for the Father's will. He, he gave glory to the Father. Worship is all over John 17. The relationship of Son and Father that, that we may know God intimately to that level is all there. 
So I want to challenge you again. Would you surrender your prayer life? I don't think I said it this way this morning. Would you surrender your prayer life to God? Would you be willing, starting tomorrow, whether it's driving to work or whether it's in the morning or whether you're one of the ones that pray at night when you have your time with God, would you be willing to surrender? And if you need to pull out Luke 11 or Matthew 6, if you need to pull it out and look there, if you need to look and say, you know, our Father, and go through that prayer part by part and, and, and then saying, Father, this is what that means in my life, would you be willing to surrender your prayer life to God starting either tonight after church or tomorrow morning? Let's pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, it's been a really good day. Dave's just done a wonderful job leading us in worship. He really has. I thank God for God using him today. The praise band, the team, Tyler's song this morning, and the word. It, we don't want to waste any of it tonight. So I'm going to ask Dave, to, Dave, if you'll just play quietly. For our invitation time, I want you to just stay right there where you are. I'll have you stand in just a minute, but stay right where you are. And just think about what God has spoken to you about in your prayer life or in your life today. I'm here. If you want to pray about something, I'd be glad to pray with you. If there's a decision you need to make, I'd be glad to counsel with you on that decision. But most of us tonight, I look across the room and I know most of your faces, most of your relationships with the Father. So would you take this time of, I'll be quiet, and just take this time and talk to the Father as you say, Father, help me to surrender this part of my life to you. Lord, help me to pray as your son taught us to pray. Not wrote words, but a surrender. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, set apart is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins, our trespasses, 
as we forgive those who have sinned or trespassed against us. And lead us not into trials or temptations, but deliver us from the evil one. Would you stand quietly? Tonight, Father, our hearts are filled with your love, thankfulness, and gratitude for the wonderful God that you are. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Father, I pray for us tonight. Father, as we leave this place, I want to pray against the evil one who would come and steal the seed away who would steal the teaching away, I pray it will become lodged into our hearts and that it may change us. Father, as we journey forward in our prayer lives, regardless of how the position we pray, the words we use, even the length or number of words we say, may we pray with a surrendered heart as you taught us. Father, thank you that in your wisdom you had John write down this high priestly prayer of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, I just want to say thank you for praying for us. Thank you for praying for us. May we honor your prayer with our obedience. I love you, Jesus. We love you. And I pray it in your precious name. Amen. God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for coming tonight.